Welcome to The Sustainable Life. This is Joshua Spodak. I'm here with Scott White. Scott, how are you doing? I'm doing good. Nice to be here. Glad to have you here. So your company, IGS Energy, is a friend of the podcast family because Joe Hogan and Jen Bowden were on This Sustainable Life, Solve for Nature, a different branch of it with a different host. And I think that's what brought us together. If it's okay with you, I'm going to, bring, I'm going to share your bio with the audience so they know who you are. So Scott founded IGS in 1989, his dad, Marv, and his sister, Kathy. Under your leadership, IGS has grown from a three-person startup and a natural gas company to a company with hundreds of employees who proudly serve more than 1 million residential, this is really big, 1 million residential and commercial customers throughout the country. As a visionary leader, Scott is focused on making sure IGS does the right thing and is serving as a role model in the business community as a proud member in the conscious capitalism movement. He makes sure to bring along each member of his team in every endeavor, ensuring they're invested in the decisions made at IGS. And I jumped to another place in your webpage that's talked about IGS Labs and new product development, which I don't think of, this is something I don't usually think of as like an energy company of like new product development. It it said, what began with our successful solar division is rapidly expanding into a variety of green energy solutions because green energy is increasingly pragmatic energy. And okay, you are someone who came into a fossil fuel company at a time when people, was global warming really happening? It was very questionable. Some people felt very confident, but many people felt confidently not. And you are instituting a change and you're talking about leadership and role models as opposed to just technology. This is the person, this is the type of person I want to bring on this podcast of of someone who's leading through this kind of change. I imagine it was a difficult, uh, maybe it was easy. Change is not easy. (laughs) (laughs) I would love to hear about how you got it into your head to do this and was it easy? Was it hard to the decision to do it? How's it played out? Can you walk me back to when, actually, I'm, I'm kind of curious before, I, I imagine when you started it, 1989, 1990, around then, were, was the environment something on the radar? No, no. That was a different time period. That was, what was on the radar was this idea that people could have choices in who their energy provider was and that we were kind of the David versus the Goliath and, and trying to get people to um, have more visibility into their energy vis-a-vis just being captive utility customers. And so we were a little bit set up against the utility, monopoly utilities, and trying to break consumers, trying to get consumers to change their patterns of what they did, just accepting a, a price from the utility. And so We've always been about change. That's probably, it wasn't necessarily change for environmental sake, but it was change for just um, taking this legacy model, how consumers procure their energy and changing it to be more of a, a market model from a utility model. So that, that's, that's how the company started. So I would say we still have the, um, you know, getting people to do things and changing from the past was in our roots. But, it, but the original premise of the company wasn't driven by environmental change. Now, now <laughs> the world has changed, mm-hmm. and we as an organization need to look at the world and, and take a inventory of what we're good at and what we have, what we're in a position to do, and the responsibility we have because we, you know, we've been fortunate to survive and grow since 1989, and we're now a much different type of organization, and we're in a place where we can choose, consciously choose how we spend our time and invest our talents. And now I think the world calls for a focus on uh, climate change and how 
people use energy, there's a need for people and a desire for people to want to have answers on how they can use their energy in a more responsible way. And I think we have an obligation and an opportunity to, as an, as an energy company, to help deliver those options. So, so there's some, you know, some of our roots are about change in behavior and doing things differently. That's still prevalent. And now, but the reason why and what we're, what we're uh, presenting to customers has changed as, as the world has changed. Now, you spoke about approaching environmental impact with a confidence that I think you may have skipped a few steps of that you say it now. And I suspect at the beginning, something must have been on the horizon at some point and then was shot across the bow or something. I'm not sure. Because maybe you just said, maybe you woke up one day and you said, or you just read one article and said, oh, got to change. But I suspect, I mean, I know most people, most Americans that I, that I come across, they see the writing on the wall but they still want to do what they, they don't, they're not changing. And that's just on a household basis or personal basis, which they don't have thousands or hundreds of people depending on them. I imagine you have some sort of gut check in there. So it was not a, an epiphany one night. <laughs> it's been a gradual process. And, you know, one of the things that I'm fortunate to be the steward of a family enterprise that has a very long-term ability to think in a longer term way, it just became more and more evident to us that we need to gradually change how we are as a, as a company and what, the, what we're doing, because that's, that's where the world is going. And we have an opportunity, but we, we haven't changed. It's been step-by-step step and very methodical. I think listeners want to change more than they are changing. And they can, I think they could really use role models. And I think that that process, I'm not sure if you shared it a lot because a lot of people, the people take me to task about this a lot because I, you know, I'm doing a lot of things that people talk about, but aren't doing. And I just talk about the results, but I don't talk, I really should talk about the, the challenges and the struggles that I went through. Like I talk about my famous no packaging vegan stews because I try to avoid packaged food, but people seem to engage more when I talk about the six months of like just steamy vegetables because I didn't know what I was doing. And it was really bland and really terrible. And like invite some friends over to try it when I thought something was good, but I wasn't good at it. And it was really embarrassing, but I stuck with it. And that was just me, one person. And I'm thinking if you're bringing, on the one hand, family business means you probably have some sort of uh, more sway than the average CEO of say a publicly traded company. But on the other hand, that means you're responsible. Like you can't point the finger to anyone. And yeah, yeah. So there, I have a, an obligation to, you know, the shareholders to, to not make a change that's so dramatic that it, it's going to harm the business in such a way that we, that we can't survive. That doesn't, that's not going to do anybody any good. So, you know, the change that we've had has been gradual and methodic and thoughtful. And it starts with how do we, how do we present products to our customers who want to be better energy consumers? And it's very complicated and, and people are busy and they, t- so how do we simplify that? How do we make it an easier decision for consumers to buy products on the energy side that are more environmentally friendly? How would we do that? How can we do that? And so that's where the labs group started. And we're, we're attacking that in a multi- multitude of ways. We have a division that helps customers own their own solar or have their own solar on their roof and we we can help be we could own those panels and sell them 
power that they actually have uh, located on their roof. So that's our residential solar division. And then we have the opportunity to buy carbon offsets for our gas customers. And we have the ability to buy solar offsets. We have the ability to contract long-term with solar developers who put their power in the grid and then use that power as our source for our customers. So, you know, we took time to explore, you know, what we're doing today, what we were doing in our role of being an energy retailer and how do we change the way we're doing things in such a way as to introduce renewable sources or carbon-free sources, which is what our customers want and focus our time on that. And so it's, it's just taken several years. Now that we're here, it looks a lot easier when, you're, when you put the time and effort into it. But we started this back in 2014. And it's not done. I mean, we're still, you know, our, where we are as a company and as an organization, I think in some way reflects the broader population. I think there's increasing awareness that uh, energy, energy is sort of this, this paradox, right? Access to cheap energy has improved human life and helped, helped make humanity, you know, have more progress. But there's a dark side of it is that it's, it's increasingly creating greenhouse gases, which is negatively impacting the climate. So on the one hand, we have energy is fueling and enabling progress, but that, that very progress is creating its own set of issues. So how do we interject ourselves so that the, the creation and generation of energy is less harmful to the climate? I'm not sure we can we can't solve that on our own, but at least that that's that's the conversation that's happening, and that conversation wasn't happening in 1989, but certainly is happening in 2021, and we're trying to do our part. So we're we're very intentionally educating ourselves on the facts and trying to modify our behavior. When you say we, is it an executive team? Is it the whole company? I'm hearing a team effort. Not a unilateral choice on your part, but let me know if it's otherwise. Yeah, it's it's our leadership and our ownership. I probably am in my role. I probably am a driver of it, a driver of the of the direction. But I like to work uh, collaboratively. I like to work with people who genuinely want to be doing the, the things. That I want to get buy-in and collaboration. I think you you get there's more sincerity when people really believe in something. I'm curious how many things I bet to listeners and people who look at the results probably think, well, obviously they did the slam dunk, obvious thing to do. And I'm guessing my experience when something looks really good, it's well-designed. It usually means that's more work than if it like the, the easier something looks in the end, the more design and engineering went into making it that way. I'm guessing that's the case with you guys. Cause I go to your webpage and looks pretty clear what to do. And I'm guessing that took a lot, a lot of work of, and were you taking risks? Were you, cause you say it's what our customers want. Was it simply, okay, the customers want it, we're going to provide what they want. That's actually the opposite of business risk, it seems to me. that. But I would guess you don't really know at some point what the customer wants, or maybe they say one thing and do another. How easy was it to figure out what to do? Um, was it easy? <clears throat> maybe it was, maybe it was hard. No, and, and also, unfortunately, when I say our customers, I guess the customers who we want to have as customers <laughs> are the ones that want, want to, uh, to be more sustainable. 
not everybody cares as much as some care more than others. And I'm finding that as each year goes by, though, there are more and more people who are accepting the realities of climate change. I would say even five or six years ago, there was more people that were skeptical that climate change was something that humans were causing and hesitancy to uh, want to pay any type of premium. And I'm, I'm glad to say that as time goes on, more and more people are, you know, have educated themselves and have, are willing to pay a small premium for energy that is carbon-free or sourced from renewable sources. So that helps us continue our, our path forward. So, you know, I mean, what we do is deal with consumers. So it's, uh, we try to keep our ear to the ground in terms of what, what our customers are telling us. So when we started, it was more of a theory than a reality. We had a suspicion that if we could make it, if we could introduce energy friendly, what I would call energy friendly or green, green type of products in such a way as to not really create a high cost premium and make it easy for a customer to buy their gas or power in an eco-friendly way, that that would be well-received. And, and in fact, we did, we, we, varied, we validated that through you know, pilots and it was through, and we tweaked the message and things. So it took a few years before we really refined it. How many people who, companies that do what you do, people who supply energy, how many are making the changes that you guys are making? Are you guys on the, sorry, I don't know the market that well. I would say the better ones, the more sophisticated ones are doing likewise. They're moving in the same kind of direction. So that they also see that ESG goals at the corporate level and just general awareness at the mass consumer level is uh, calls for solutions. So, and I'm fine if our competitors jump into it, that's better <laughs> if, if everybody's working towards solving this, because this is a big problem. How do you provide enough energy to serve the planet when those energy needs are growing at the pace that they've been growing because of the, uh, the progress that we've made as a society, which is a good thing, and then offset that with the, the fact that this mass amount of energy that we're consuming, which is necessary to feed science and technology and human progress, is creating issues on the climate side. We got a big problem. <laughs> and so we can't solve it by ourselves. And if our competitors are seeing what we're doing and they're following suit, then that's, then we're happy. All right. There's a couple of things. Uh, there's a two directions I want to go in here. And I'll go with the first one is, is you're saying that um, you're getting messages from customers and from potential customers. And if that, if I hear you right, there are people out there who want to know the more the consumers, citizens, people clearly demonstrate that they want to use less power to pollute less, then I want to counter this feeling that everyone, that a lot of people have of what I do doesn't matter or what difference does it make? There's someone, there are people who are ready to act if that message gets out there. And if they're silent about it, people won't know to act. Is that a fair conclusion? I would say that we're, consumers want to do something and are willing to do something as long as it doesn't impact them to, there's a point, like they're, they're willing to pay more or take an action but there is a point. So <laughs> our job is to try to allow them to participate in a way that is takes less effort or less cost. That was slightly different than what I, what I meant was if you want to know what they want in order to serve their needs, 
yeah. if they're quiet about it and they, they, if they think to themselves, well, I'd prefer to have, uh, I'd prefer to use less energy, but I'll, I'll just do what my neighbors do and, and just not tell anyone, you don't know. And you wouldn't know to create more options for them. The no. more that they express their options, the more that they express themselves and don't keep quiet about it, the more that people will meet those needs. That is true. And we've been more of a um, push mentality. We, we more, more proactive in making the offer because we, you know, we're not, consumers are not very involved or active in making energy choices because they've been not, they've not, not on the residential or mass market level. They've been conditioned to not be active. They, they basically receive their gas or power from their utility. There hasn't been much involvement in their energy choices. So we're, we're in what they call the deregulated space. And, the, and our customers have a little bit more you know, energy prowess or, or opportunity. So, so we're kind of overcoming this mindset. Like a, a customer doesn't even know that they can do anything. They don't know what to do. It's just not how they were, grew up. <laughs> businesses are more active. They're more active, engaged customers. So the businesses are starting to ask for solutions when it comes to um, meeting their ESG. I would say that we're seeing more proactive uh, behavior from the business community as they get pressure to be responsible with their energy purchases. And then on the residential side, we're getting acceptance, but it's it's more us offer, you know, trying to educate and, and offer to them uh, the ability to do something, take an action that is good for the environment. And when we give them that, if we can, if we can make that offering in such a way that is very, there's a very low effort and that they can relate with, then we find that there's a high acceptance for that. Now I'm thinking of my own actions of, I've, I brought my power use very low, well, high, compared to historical levels, but low compared to everyone else. So an electric bill, my record low is $1.40. So it's fairly low. Plus, I mean, the line charges are like $18, $20. I can't change that. And it's gotten to where I believe that I can go solar in the middle of Manhattan in just my apartment with my regular windows. So that would be a consumer, a residential consumer exercising beyond his choice, beyond the, the choice, like taking effort. I believe that would signal if other people started doing that, I suspect that that would signal to the market, hey, people are more interested in this than we thought. We better get on this. Is that a fair conclusion? Like that, yeah. is that some, because uh, someone might say, well, if you go from $1.40 to even zero, that's very little change in terms of like, there's a, you know, this huge amount of CO2 in, you know, in the whole world. Your change is very little. But my signal to the market is, would be very high if, I, if I'm public about it, if I make it, people know about it. I hadn't thought about this angle of, of signaling to power companies that there's a different type of consumer out there. Yeah, consumers have not. Consumers are an unlocked, I think, capacity to to drive some change. I, I don't think most consumers see themselves as having much say over where their power comes from in general, because that's just not the way that they've grown up. Or like when you go to fuel your car, if you have gasoline, you can pick your like if if you're unhappy with Shell or BP or whoever, you can go, you can choose very easily what, you know, what your, what gas station you go to. That's a big energy purchase. Consumers just don't see themselves in that role when it comes to their energy choices. They, they see 
themselves as a utility customer. And so they, I guess they have the right to voice and demand change to their utility customers. We're different than that. Like we're not the utility. So we're trying to give them, we're trying to find ways to give them choice directly, but it's, it's, uh, there's not, there's a lack of awareness of that in general. People just don't think of, of that approach. <laughs> That's one of our challenges. To make them aware that there could be a choice if they, if they, once you're in the, in the market, there's that choice. But before you're in the market, most people, it makes me think of, of about 20 years ago, New York City banned cigarettes in the workplace. And everyone said, well, if we don't have cigarettes in the workplace, which includes bars and restaurants, then people, they want to have a drink after work and they want to have a smoke when they drink. So if they, if we, if they can't do it in Manhattan, they'll just take, it's a quick train ride across to New Jersey. They'll just go to Hoboken and get to the drinks there. We're going to lose business. Two and a half years later, New Jersey had to ban cigarettes because people were going in the workplace because people were going to Manhattan. There was no option for clean before. So no one asked for the option because why ask for something that you had no conception of, you know, having a drink after work means cigarettes. But once the option was there, then people chose it happily. That's exactly right. And that's kind of our challenge is to try to figure out how to bring the option to people so that they even know they have a choice. And I do have some optimism that that the the states are starting to become that certain states are starting to become more supportive of trying to introduce the consumer into the equation and new york recently in the last year or two have they've created something called community solar programs which is not the norm and very much appreciated that we're starting to uh, participate in where they would incentivize or create incentives for large solar arrays to be built. And then the solar arrays would go into the grid and they would be assigned to consumers like yourself to virtually be off taking a a small piece of that. And then collectively, if we arranged for, you know, a couple thousand homes could be paired with the solar array. And so that, that is a way for a consumer to support a solar and be more actively involved. And we love that type of thinking. That's, that's the type of thinking that's now it's more progressive and that involves the utility in the equation. And, but it involved more importantly, involves the consumer in the equation. And those are the types of programs that need to happen state by state over the next 10 years. If we're going to have a you know, more meaningful transformation to a renewable economy. And we, as an energy company, need to be aware of these changes and these trends, and we need to put our time and talent in those types of programs. Energy is very complicated. (laughs) You have, and you you got it. One of the challenges that we face is we have these large entities, like maybe some of the largest companies in the country, who are the, what we call their utility monopolies, and they're not necessarily the poster child for change. Because their DNA is to let's let's keep doing things. That we why would we change anything? We are the monopoly. Mm-hmm. We own the generation. We own the distribution. We own the transmission, and everybody buys from us. And there's no questions asked. We're a little bit of a you know a threat to that way of thinking, and so that has been in our DNA since 1989 that we're challenging the status quo. So. We need to be mindful of how we do that. If we can get programs that are not 
too heavily objected to by the utilities, they tend to go better. But that is one of the challenges of the energy ecosystem is that you got these incumbent monopolies that may own coal plants and nuclear plants, and they've spent billions of dollars on these legacy assets. And so they're they're reluctant to overnight make a, a change and write those assets off. So we, you know, part of our challenge is, as an energy company to try to try to fuel the transformation is that we're up against some players who don't want that change to happen. Is that exciting? Is it scary? It's a reality. <laughs> it's just, it's, it is uh, frustrating at times. Because mm-hmm. um, they're strong? Because they have political clout and a lot of money? They're, they're very well capitalized. They do have a lot of clout. And, and we um, are unable to make the kind of changes that we'd like to make as quickly as we'd like to make. And that, that, that part is discouraging. What we've learned to do is realize that every state has a different viewpoint and that we have to be flexible and work with the culture in the state that, uh, you know, and meet them at where they are and um, make our decisions. So we're, you know, we're, we're operating in 20 different states. And honestly, it's like being in 20 different countries. It, it's, they're all completely different. And so we, we try to influence at the regulatory level and the political level, but we don't have the type of um, clout that a incumbent utility would have. One of my biggest messages, I'm going to change topics a bit. One of my biggest strategies is reducing consumption. And I, I think no amount of renewables can compare with just not using the energy. And it doesn't pollute. It doesn't cost any money. It's accessible to everyone. And I've certainly found that in dropping my consumption, my, my environmental footprint, according to the online calculator, is about 90%. I found that this has improved my life in ways that ha- before I did it, I expected it would be deprivation and sacrifice and a burden. And there's definitely a transition. And maybe not everyone can drop 90%, although I certainly see some people out there who could drop a lot more than I could. I don't have a jet. <laughs> and uh, I, I'm you not know, feeling jets. But where does reducing consumption fit into everything? I mean, I know a lot of people who, in my building, it's central air. I pay for air conditioning, but I haven't turned on my air conditioner uh, there's a big cool on the roof and it pipes cold air through. And so I have to pay my share, but mm-hmm. I don't use the air conditioning. And I know that there are people in my building who in May, they turn it on and maybe October, they turn it off. And it's 24 seven, the entire time in between, whether they're home or they're away, whatever. Cause they're like, well, it's just, the f-. they just think, oh, it's just the fan in my apartment. It's a very little thing, but they're still, they don't know physics. Right. They're still warming up something that has to be cooled off. And I think a lot of people think, well, if I don't, if I use less energy, my life is going to get worse. I've not found that to be the case. But in any case, from an energy company standpoint, is people consuming less? Is that in your interest or is it against your interest? Is it a message you put out there? Well, I would, first of all, that's very impressive. So I, my hat is off to you. Uh, I think you, you are demonstrating very virtuous behavior that, we're, we don't, you know, that we don't see a lot of. I will be honest and admit that we have not focused as much on energy efficiency side of it as we could. Part of it is um, trying to figure out how would we help consumers be more efficient? What is it that we could do to do that? And we, that's something that would be studied in our labs group. The only, we do have one product that we've um, figured out that is needed and that we could help be, help our consumers that would fit would be LED lighting. And we have a, we have a program that's active in, um, usually larger buildings that want to replace out their more energy intensive lights 
and the, the LED, the LED lighting um, that we substituted for it, it dramatically reduces their energy for, for lighting. It's, and it can impact their overall usage, which I, which I was surprised, but for some of these commercial operations, uh, it can reduce it about 20% of their total electric spend mm-hmm. just by flipping out these electric LEDs. But at the homeowner level, we haven't figured out yet where we might play. And uh, that is something that we, we probably need to move towards. We're, we're more focused on providing more eco-friendly energy but we haven't focused on now let's on the demand side, let's reduce that demand. That's probably something that we, if we put our mind to it, figure that out, but we haven't uh, yet. Oh, if you want to talk to someone who's been doing it for a while, let me know. (laughs) Okay. I'll be honest. I'm going to pick on the utilities here. Part of the reason is a lot of the utilities have programs that, that where they collect money from all the rate payers to create these subsidized energy efficiency programs. And it's deterred us from being in involving ourselves in the marketplace because it's like, well, we're competing against free money. It's like they are in that space and we've stayed out of it. And it's unfortunate because it's, I'm sure we could be more involved. We've done some things. I, I won't say we haven't done anything, but we've done something. But it's, again, it's energy. Energy is complicated with, it's very highly regulated and you got different players and sometimes some of the players don't want competition introduced. I, I feel like that was a big understatement right there. Sometimes <laughs> the big players don't want competition. Like that's, yeah. I've started companies before and I've faced incumbents and they, they can win really easily without being better for the customer. That's one of our challenges, but it get, you know, this is a long-term fight and it's worth fighting. So if you like the show, I recommend acting as my guests do. It works best with someone supportive, your spouse, parents, kids, neighbors, or friends. Learn the four-step process I do with my guests and describe in my TEDx talks and do it together. You'll find yourself acting on something you care about, something meaningful. Whether you start big or small doesn't matter. If you care, if it's meaningful, you'll keep doing it. You'll reach big. Eventually, stewardship will feel normal. You'll wish you had started earlier. Second, I recommend donating to help this podcast at joshuaspodek.com slash donate. I promote degrowth and stewardship, which no advertiser will touch but brings joy, community, connection, and abundance to you when you act and global change in the long run. Help us keep going. That's joshuaspodek.com slash donate. Now, I want to go in a more personal direction, if you don't mind, and to ask, there's the company and uh, the market, and there's you, and you're acting, and you're taking risks that you don't have to, as I read. What does the environment mean to you when something motivates you? And I don't mean like what you're trying to change in the market. I mean, what is nature for you that what's worth protecting? What's, what's this all for? I think if I think of my kids and my future generations and where the, where we're going as a society, like I said, in the last, I'd say last seven years, I've tried to, uh, to educate myself a little bit more on what, on the energy market itself. And, uh, and I've, I've just come to understand that we've, we're wonderfully blessed to have lots of new technology and, and industrial progress and inventions. It's, it's, it's dramatically impacted our lives uh, in a positive way. However, <laughs> that comes, that has come at a cost and, you know, this, the increase in population since 1800, we've gone, you know, maybe from a billion to seven plus billion. So call it roughly seven Roughly a sevenfold increase in population 
but our energy usage has increased by about 30 times. So we have more people on the planet living a better lifestyle and consuming more energy. And I just don't feel like that's sustainable. There has to be energy that's created in a way that isn't impacting our climate negatively. And to your point, maybe our our per person consumption can't just keep going up. We need to maybe check ourselves and become aware of that. So I'm about halfway through my life and I spent the first, I wasn't as reflective in the first half. I was more interested in paying my bills and, and just taking care of the day-to-day needs of the company. And now I'm, I'm have the luxury of thinking a little bit more, you know, what kind of impact can I make? And I do have some influence over what the company does and I can, you know, I enjoy that influence and I can turn the company into um, problem solvers and we can't solve the problem, but we can help contribute to others and, and ourselves being a, a part of the solution. When you say part of the solution, you're, you're saying, I'm hearing that there's a, a future that you don't, that we may sleepwalk into that you don't like. And what I'm asking is, is what's in the past? What is worth saving? What, what experiences do you have that make this worthwhile? Not what do you want to do about it, but what, when you think about the environment, what do you think about? So I think I mean, you kids, uh, but before you had kids, I mean, you probably thought about the environment before they were born. Yeah, no, I mean, if I think back to my childhood, uh, you know, there was there were a lot less people. There's a lot less traffic. There was uh, more open space. There was uh, we didn't have wildfires <laughs> to the scale that we have. You know, the the planet was a little more more settled and. Uh, you know, I don't, yeah, I don't like the direction that we're going. I feel like you're talking about the past was actually about the future. We didn't have wildfires. There were fewer people saying, I feel like you're saying now there's a lot of wildfires. Now there's a lot of people. What was it like then? I mean, I think that a lot of people have the sense of, it feels so natural that they figure everyone else has something similar, but I think it's what I find. I ask this question of a lot of people and it's always unique and it's, it's always, it's different. And I think it's, I mean, it's really my favorite part of the podcast is to hear what the environment means to people. People who grow up in different places, they have different experiences. And people who grow up in different times, it's different. And I think people miss that. Oh, yeah. Progress is, is a double-edged sword, right? <laughs> Life can be a little simpler without all these advanced technologies. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. For me, I just don't want a continued... I don't want progress to continue to actually create and threaten the way that our lives are today. Right. I mean, even if we if, forget going back, we, mm-hmm. you know, are we going to start to give up more of our natural landscape? Are we going to threaten some of our coastal cities? I see the world is a lot in my short 50 years. The world has changed quite a bit and there's positives and negatives to those changes. You're talking about landscapes. Do you have a landscape in mind? Do you have an experience that is in your heart? Oh, I think the beaches on Florida going down as a kid, we would in South Carolina, just the, you know, the vastness of the ocean and the beaches were pretty pristine back then being able, I felt like the ocean was a, this vast, enormous place when you're a kid that is clean. Mm-hmm. And, you know, maybe I wasn't educated back then, but it seems like we're, we're dumping a lot into our oceans, but yeah, as a child, you know, spending a time outside in Florida and the beaches were, were uh, something I always enjoyed. 
Now, I think of you, you're in Ohio, right? Yeah. Did yeah. you grow up there or did you? No, I've always, always, we've always lived here, but we would, my family would, would go visit my grandparents in Florida every year. So when you talk about the vastness, I'm guessing that it's much vaster than maybe someone who grew up at the ocean doesn't appreciate it in the same way as someone who sees it less commonly. So yeah, when you're in the heartland and you go see the ocean, that's, that's a pretty transformational. And, uh, you know, beyond the oceans, I also really enjoy the mountains. I, I've been able to get out to Colorado on a fairly regular basis, but these areas of the country are important to me. I'm reading off your, the way you're saying it, I'm hearing wonder and awe. Or what, what kind of emotion is it? Because when you're talking about more people and more complexity, maybe we miss out on these things. Some simplicity. Often they get too personal, but. <laughs> yeah, with technology and progress, you know, it's a double-edged sword. You have, you know, when I was growing up, I didn't have Instagram. I didn't have access. I wasn't constantly on. There was no cell phone. Mm-hmm. Right. So my, my childhood was, was much simpler. Uh, so I've seen dramatic changes my teenage years versus my kids' teenage years. And some of that is good. And some of it is um, I'm also hearing about depression and anxiety and trying to keep up with the images that they see. Right. So mm-hmm. technology and progress has given us a double edged sword. I'm not Amish. <laughs> I'm not saying that we should. But I think we should be mindful of what these technologies and these advances are doing and, you know, be aware of them. And at a personal level, you know, how much time you spend on the phone looking at Instagram isn't necessarily a positive. And another example would be all the advances in, and abilities for us to manufacture and build and transport and grow and store, those are all wonderful things. However, they take an enormous amount of energy and consume an enormous amount of resources and left unchecked can have negative impacts. So based on this double-edged sword and of what you're calling progress, partly progress, it sounds like, not all progress it might be, and also this experience in your youth and that's still available, I invite you at your option to think of something to do to act on those feelings, to manifest them today. And you don't have to do it, but if you do, with a couple constraints, that something you're not already doing, something that you do yourself, because I get so many leaders and like, oh, I'll start a team to do something, but this is for personal action. And something that has a physical effect on the world. Big or small is not the point, just not just reading or watching a documentary. And if you're game for it, to share what that experience was like on a second episode. All right. I was uh, tipped off <laughs> that this might challenge myself. Two people have already been on the podcast. So right. I figured, yeah. Yeah. So I, 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 was, I thought about it a little bit. And here's what I would think might be achievable and it would require some, I won't say it's a sacrifice, but it would, it, it would seem like a sacrifice. I will, I'll tell you afterwards if it was a sacrifice or not. Right. Uh-huh. But I think it would involve just cutting out red meat and chicken and that, that, that food source and, and going more plant-based would be a, a behavior change for me that would, um, would be something that I think would benefit, you know, it wouldn't move the needle on the world, but it, um, reducing, uh, going to a plant-based 
diet would be a change that I could make that would require a little bit of sacrifice, but I think would, uh, would be something I could, I could attempt to do. Now it fits the three criteria, but I want to make sure that it, I'm not sure if it connects with your experience of the ocean or of the mountains. And if it's simply, what I didn't ask is, is can you, can you sacrifice something? In fact, most people, what they do is the opposite. When they actually work it through it, it's the opposite of a sacrifice. So if, if this feels connected to your experience of nature, your personal experience, and it manifests values in your life that are meaningful to you, and only you know that, I don't know that, it sounded like you're talking about something, oh, I'll give something up for the good of others, which is not what I'm asking. If this is something where you think of like, maybe the beach to you and what we're putting into the beach connects to animals or slaughterhouses, they certainly do pollute the ocean as far as factory farming seems to do that or industrial agriculture. But I'm not sure if that connection was there because I've had a lot of people who come on and they say, oh, you know, I'll go without straws for a week. And it has nothing to do with what they were talking about. It was just something they read in the New York Times or wherever. Uh, and then they I come guess... back and like, well, I didn't really want to do it. So I didn't really do it. And this isn't something, I'm not asking for sacrifice at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, the connection to me is modifying behavior to allow for a more sustainable planet from for my kids and my grandkids. I'm and a big fan of that, but that's not what I'm asking. <laughs> Just to clarify, <laughs> what I'm inviting you to is, is uh, there are things inside you that my read was that you like. Your experience, your memories of the experiences of, of going to the beach and seeing the expanse, your, your experiences of, of going to the mountains. And I'm inviting you to act on those things. It may affect the world. It may not, but it will affect you. And a lot of this is that a lot of people think, well, I have to sacrifice. I have to give something up. And I've not found that to be the case. Or rather, that mindset, I find, disappears when people actually act on their intrinsic motivations as opposed to, we're all going to die if if we don't act. So you better act. Yeah. I mean, I also have a a personal desire to to be healthy. And I know that that would probably be a healthier time. A healthier diet, so I'll be around longer. I don't know if it ties necessarily to my childhood, but uh, I will have to give it more thought then. But I, I, I think that was that was my. Uh... I will take the liberty and risk persisting a bit more because what you said is what everybody says. Yeah, they say I'll get back to you, and I quickly learned that I'll get back to you means it's not going to happen. But when I do persist, and there's a block that I had, that everyone has, that on the other side of it is, oh my God, you mean I could just do, I, I've been meaning to do that for a long time. And I, I can almost guarantee that if we stick with it a couple back and forths, then mm-hmm. you'll come up with something that you'll be like, oh, I've been meaning to do that. Oh, of course, that's easier than I expected. Yeah. And so it's usually it's something like, um, when was the last time you felt that feeling of the beach? Or when was the last time you had the opposite of that? When you felt like, oh my God, it's so dirty here or whatever the opposite of the beach or the opposite of mountains is. And you felt like, oh, I wish something were different and you could do something. And, and most people then dismiss that thinking, well, it's not going to fix the whole problem. So I'm not going to do it, but it's not, this is not to fix the whole problem. It's just simply to act by your values. Well, I'm at a little bit of a loss, I guess, uh, being like spending more time outside, uh, that can be difficult in Ohio in the winter, but not impossible. Which is one of the things I did enjoy as a kid. I used to run a lot, a lot of running outside, mm-hmm. nothing more. Now, I, I hear I, I, 
I believe I detected a hint of something of like, hmm, there might be something there. Yeah, I used to be an avid, not an avid, but I used to spend a lot of time outside running on a regular basis. And that was not on a treadmill. I mean, go outside, mm-hmm. get around the neighborhoods. I have not had time to do that as much. So I used to run in these uh, 5Ks on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. I think it's been 10, 10, 15 years. So I I don't know. I'm, I'm a little bit at a loss of what... Uh, well, to make it a little... To clarify, and, and this might facilitate, is that I'm not saying what's a wholesale life change to me. It could be just doing... I don't want to lead the witness. But if you went for one run, that would be enough for my criteria, which are honed from you know thousands of these experiences before. I have not done a long run in 25, 30 years. So when I'd say something like a, and maybe an eight mile run or something like that, mm-hmm. I don't know if I could do it, <laughs> but I could, I would, I would love to try it. I'd love to see what, what that would feel like again. Now I'm hearing in you and you know me, you know you better than I know you, but I'm hearing a connection to something from before that was greater than what you talked about with the meat. And I don't want to stop you from doing that. But to me, it feels like you're acting on something intrinsic here. Yeah. So the next step would yeah. be to make it a smart goal, specific, measurable, achievable, realistic, time-bound. So again, if you're game, what would be something that you could do that if, we, if you came back to a second time to share how that experience or experiment or how it went? I guess if I could, I used to enter, in the, if I could find a 10K, which is a little bit like that's now 6.2. If I could find a 10K to enter into, that would be something that I could do that I could, I would actually look forward to that. I wouldn't ever, it's been a long time, <laughs> but I'd have to actively find it and go do it and uh, and see how it goes. I'm not as young as I used to be. but I know the feeling. <laughs> that would be, there's, there's a lot of those around. I could find one of those. And you said winter's coming up and it's what, it's late October now. So you might find one before winter. Well, when if we schedule a second episode to hear how it went, how long do you think would be long enough to to give it a chance to happen? Well, I don't know. I'd have to I'd have to uh, see what I haven't I have not been active in that world in a long time. <laughs> see, it could be very quickly if I found, if I found a race here in Central Ohio. I would say though, more practically, in tying back to Florida, I do. We my family has had this legacy of going to Florida and we have some, I plan on spending the month of January there this year. Mm-hmm. So what would be good? I could tie, I could find one down there, which would be a, a great way to experience my memories of Florida again. Now I persisted a bit a few minutes ago. Was it justified? Was it, I don't want to say did the ends justify the means, but was it, was it okay that I uh, pressed a little bit? No, yeah, that would, that's a kind of a challenge that I could, I wouldn't have done that. I wouldn't have gone and found a 6.2 mile race, um, mm-hmm. but I think I would I think it'd be good. I think it'd be good to, to go do that again, experience uh, what I used to enjoy. And uh, I could, I think I can commit to that and report back. Okay. So then if you're going to be there in January and you can do it, and then would scheduling a second conversation in February work? Yeah. Okay. And, and now you're making me think of when I was in, in my twenties after the winter, I could just, go out and run five miles. And now like five miles, I didn't even think about it. And now I'm 50. So even like 10 years ago, I couldn't just go out and run five miles. I'd have to work up to it. And after work, after work, I have to take a lot longer work up to it. 
So yeah, this will give me some time. I it's yeah, that's perfect. It's three months. I can, I feel confident. (laughs) It's enough of, it's enough of a reach to be, to make me have to work at it, but not, that's not, it's not a marathon. It's not a half marathon. Okay. I'll, I'll be very curious how this affects your views on how this connects with IGS, how this connects with energy. Because while you're running, you're not watching TV. I mean, I, I'm hearing that the running is something like it was before. Yeah, you zone out of all the, you take everything out. You know, back then, distraction was maybe the TV and MTV, right? <laughs> MTV was just coming out when I was, I can't even imagine what it's like to be a kid. Cell phones and Instagram and Snapchat and all that right here in your hand. When you're out running, you really, you don't, you're just out. You're just, your mind clears. Yeah. So that'll be great. I actually look forward to that experience. That's, and hopefully I can do it in a reasonable time. You mean the speed, the pace? Yeah. Yeah. I'll be curious to hear. And so you're not viewing this as a, as a sacrifice? No. Okay. Yeah. So now uh, for better, for worse, you've now motivated me. The next time someone is on and says, well, I'll get back to you. Uh, I can't think of anything just yet. I'll say, oh. I'm going to push, I'm going to persist a little bit here because I think people, I think everyone has this in them that they, they really, there's an experience with nature that they relish and celebrate. Yeah. And I would say I used to run a lot as a kid and I liked being outside and running. And there's a connection with nature through the running, running along the beach, running along the neighborhood, just being outside. Mm-hmm. Well, now that, so now we're speculating how it'll be, I propose we pick up here after you've run in February. Or, and if you run earlier, let me know and you want to do it, like maybe you'll find one next week and you'll come back earlier. But I propose we pick up in February or earlier if you want to. That sounds good. Okay. And then uh, is there anything I didn't think to ask or anything you might want to share with the listeners directly before closing? No, I think, I think I'll defer to you and, and how you, I mean, I think I'm not really, I'm not really pushing an agenda. So <laughs> I don't really have anything. All right. Well, Scott White, thank you very much. Yeah, it was nice to meet you. How many people are bringing a message of joy from what everyone calls saving the environment, but I call the future? Step by step, this podcast is creating a culture of joy, community, and connection around sharing and acting on our environmental values. Again, there's no profit in buying and wasting less, but we'll all love our lives and relationships more when we do. I can use your support. Please donate at joshuaspodick.com slash donate. Again, that's joshuaspodick.com slash donate.